Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, folks. Just to say, we know the world number one and defending champion Iga Svantec lost tonight. We know that means she lost her number one ranking tonight and it will be covered in technicolor detail. Don't you worry. But if you've been listening to the podcast throughout this fortnight, you know that we've been recording in two parts. And the first part is recorded after the day session and the second part is recorded after the night session. So you just have to wait till part two to hear all about Yelena Ostapenko against Iga Svantec. It's coming though. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome, folks, to a sticky evening in New York City. Day six of the US Open, day six of daily tennis podcasts from the US Open, brought to you for the fortnight in association, in partnership with AO Travel, who operate the travel program for the first Grand Slam of the year, the Australian Open in Melbourne. AO Travel can take care of your flights, premium accommodation, tickets to the tournament, behind-the-scenes experiences, including the all-new AO Travel Lounge. And it is to celebrate the launch of the AO Travel Lounge that we have this incredible competition and incredible competition prize. One lucky tennis podcast listener is going to win an AO Travel Premium Lounge package for themselves and a friend to visit the Australian Open in style next January. Two return economy flights to Melbourne, tickets to Rod Laver Arena Tennis over the middle weekend of the Open for two people and three nights accommodation at the five-star Pullman on the Park Hotel in Melbourne, which does a delicious butter chicken on room service 24 hours a day, as well as two-day access to the luxurious AO Travel Lounge. You can enter the prize draw today by clicking on the link provided in your show notes or in tonight's newsletter. So do subscribe to the newsletter if you don't already. You have until Monday the 18th of September at 11.59pm New York time to enter terms and conditions apply good luck this is part one of the show where we wrap up what we've seen in the day session we'll be back later with part two and all the drama that unfolds under the lights and today we have a special politics corner coming up in part one because there has been a big scoop 
by none other than our very own of this parish, Simon Briggs of the Daily Telegraph and it's caused a bit of a stir in Flushing Meadows today so what better reason, what better moment to welcome Mr Simon Briggs onto the podcast. Hello, I I haven't noticed much of a stir but then I might have got in a little bit late this afternoon. We've been stirring with all this morning. We've, We've been, been stirring. stirring. <laughs> We've been stirring for you, Simon. Excellent. Um, we'll come on to the politics uh, a little later. Let's first start with Coco Goff, because we have all just come from her press conference. She beat Caroline Wozniacki today, 6-3-3-6-6-1, to reach back-to-back quarterfinals here at the US Open. It was an interesting match, wasn't it? I mean, it was a, it was a whole three-act play all in itself, that match. Five-act play, if you include the encore interview and the press conference afterwards. Lots to take in, lots going on. Yeah, because I think, aside from anything else, Wozniacki is an opponent unlike anybody Goff had faced so far. In all of the other matches, Brad Gelbert could say to her, keep it physical, make it physical, and that would be a good idea. But in Wozniacki in some ways she was playing a replica of herself you know great backhand great movement not very good forehand relatively speaking I do think Goff's got a much better serve but you know it was getting dicey there I mean at one set all and when Wozniacki broke for one love in the third set it could so easily have tailspinned for the player who's down in front of their own fans she's supposed to win she's playing somebody who's retired for three and a half years and come back and actually I, I, I give Goff enormous credit for the fact that she just just threw off those shackles at that very point I love players who produce their best tennis of the match when they're under the gun like that and she did yeah I thought acts one and three to use to use your terms Catherine were quite similar in the start of the first set Wozniacki went up a break and already I was thinking oh no this is this is bad for the movement <laughs> if if Caroline Wozniacki were to beat Coco Goff but quite quickly actually Coco Goff got got the match back under control and played a pretty good first set played played quite aggressively when she could uh, reeled off 10 points in a row at one stage, was using her forehand well, opening up, up the court with the wide serve. There was lots of good stuff. As David said, similar game styles, but Goff seems to have more what Americans call upside, you know, more more strengths that she can really use. Then her game really fell off in that second set, Goff. There was an alarming amount of errors in that set, and Wozniacki was by far the better player, getting in all the service games, having a lot of break points, eventually taking it, and then the start of the third set, Act 3, Goff goes up a break again, just as she did at the start of the first set. And it was at this point where I think the match got really, really interesting because everyone watching on the TV was able to pick up uh, what Brad Gilbert was saying in the box. And what he was saying was, it's time to make it physical. And Coco Goff said towards her box, please stop talking. And then proceeded to not make it physical and actually go back to the sort of tactic that had worked in that first set and shortening the points, taking over, and seemed to be completely ignoring all the advice that was coming from the box. So it was really, really fascinating, that period of the match. And then Wozniacki tailed off, I think, quite dramatically in that third set. And Goff ended up running running away with it, really, 6-1. Um, 
but yeah and of course that that back and forth between Goff and her box was sort of one of the talking points in that press conference how much is Goff going to really own that and how much is she going to maybe row back from it and she did she was keen to point out that she wasn't directly talking at Brad mm. Gilbert it's a fascinating situation and dynamic this Brad Gilbert situation with Coco Golf, isn't it because the results speak for themselves Brad Gilbert coaches players to Grand Slam titles I, I, I have backed her to win this US Open partly because Brad Gilbert is in her corner and yet what I'm actually witnessing of the coaching relationship is a bloke repeatedly shouting keep it physical and <laughs> various other instructions which when ignored are to Coco Goff's benefit now she utterly she totally defends him and look she's in the quarterfinals I still really think she has a chance of winning this I just don't quite get it like that it's working but what you see with your eyes on the court isn't necessarily a great advert for what I'm sure is good stuff going on behind the scenes. Well, we talked before about how his main uh, message has been don't think about your forehand, just get on and play. Um, maybe that's what's inspiring. I mean, to me, the Achilles forehand was out there in spades in the second set. Now, the system on the press room monitors is telling me that she hit 16 unforced errors on her forehand side in the second set. Unfortunately, when I started looking at the third set, I discovered that the, the press room monitors were like completely inaccurate and, <laughs> and were logging the numbers uh, all over the shop. So my report, which I filed before I realised that, may turn out to be uh, somewhat misinformed. Oh, do um, buy tomorrow's Telegraph, folks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it said she hit one forehand winner in the, in the fifth set, but it's in the third set, but in fact there were, there were plenty. So it's had a malfunction, which is quite concerning for a bloke who uses it all day long for his stories. It, it's um, quite... Anyway, Brad Gilbert, yeah, he, he, we just had a press conference where she said that he uh, has to have a, a jolly rancher uh, on the go to chew whenever he's on the court and that he only mentions odd numbers because even numbers freak him out. Yes, if you ask him what time it is, David, even if it is um, 7... 18 p.m. He will say either 17. He will say either 7:17 or 7:19 p.m. because he refuses to acknowledge odd numbers. Okay. Uh, even numbers, rather. Sorry. Yeah. So not a massive surprise to me, <laughs> uh, given given the Brad that I know, who who I do think is is an excellent coach. But it was very interesting hearing him say it's time to use loop and shape and air underneath the ball. And she and not try to go through her. And then the next two points, she went directly through her with two of the biggest he, ground strokes of the match. He specifically said, "Don't try and play through her." Yeah. And then she specifically went out there and played through her, and it worked. Coco Vanderway in our commentary box was saying, "Sometimes, honestly, you just try to prove your coach wrong." in Ooh, those situations that's wow, that's interesting. and and I think what we are getting maybe more than just an insight into the relationship is we're getting an insight into all relationships because finally we're getting to hear them 
And if you think of the number of times you've seen Andy Murray come up and rant against whoever is in his coaching box, from Ivan Lendl to Miles McLaggen to Alex Karetscher to whoever Gilbert. it is, to Brad Gilbert, had we had the microphones on the TV that they have today, we would have heard so much stuff that would have informed at least our, our conversations on the podcast in a different way, I think. Do, do you think it needs to be whole hog and yes. have the coaches on the court like we have at um, various different team events? Does this feel a bit sort of I'm enjoying in either it. camp at the moment? I'm enjoying what we've got. Well, I then why not lean better. into it more? Yeah. And make it even more accessible, yeah. not sort of having to strain to listen in sometimes. And I don't really have like... translation. I, I, I wouldn't want interruption. I mean, I think it's quite interesting when you... Do, are you thinking of sort of United Cup style thing where yeah, you've got I'm Tim Hemmer out that, there or... I'm just hearing that talked about more and more, the fact that generally people seem to be enjoying at this tournament what they're getting from the on-court coaching and yet it's still slightly limited by the the practicalities of it yeah. you're only down your coaching box end 50% of the time so it's only accessible to you if you happen to be down that end That's it's, it's made me have thing. to think about it in commentary because a couple of times I would be speaking and then I, and then I, I didn't catch that the, they were saying something and I'm kind of talking over them you've almost got a time when you talk as a commentator for when they're walking over and predicts that you, they're going to say something you better shut up so that everybody can hear it but it I really do enjoy it I mean I because you know when we were when they were talking about it I was against it in many ways but what we said all along was they have to mic this stuff up mm. and here at the US Open they are micing the thing up one of the things I was always worried about with on-court coaching was that it would make make players too reliant on their coach and I, I was out in watching qualifying the other week and the other day actually not the other week uh, and I was sat right behind a coach on on the outside court and he was literally telling his player where to serve and what serve to hit on every single point when she was down his end and serving and I thought that didn't seem particularly healthy like you want tennis players to be able to think for themselves which is why I think it was interesting that Goff completely ignored the advice that she was getting today like that was kind of an element I hadn't considered of on-court coaching of I sort of just assumed that players would take their coach's mm. word as, as sort of gospel but that's interesting to hear Coco Vandewey say actually sometimes you think you know better and you want to prove your coach wrong and then on on the Brad Gilbert of it all the sort of interesting element here is that he's never actually been allowed to talk like this to his players before when he was coaching in the past you know he would have been I'm sure trying to get messages across, but not able to actually speak in the same way that he is now, now that coaching is allowed. And, you know, for someone who does like to talk a lot, Goff seems to be suggesting that sometimes she doesn't actually want to hear from him quite so much. Sometimes she wants to go over to her towel and reset and not have people talking. And I still think, I still think he needs to work that out a little bit of when he gives his advice and when he doesn't. And that's an interesting element for someone who's been coaching for so long. He's now doing it under new rules. And, you know, it's, it's, everyone is sort of learning, I suppose, with the new rules. I think Coco surprised a lot of people in pre-tournament press when she used the word relaxing yes. as her description of Brad. But then I went back to the Agassi book to see what he said about working with Brad. And he talked about their very first hit together and how the message from Gilbert had been, you don't have to hit a killer shot every shot give your opponent space to make mistakes 
and he said that that, that, that permission to, to give up his inner perfectionist was really important to him. So in a weird way, the message is relaxing, even if maybe the delivery of Gilbert is quite intense. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it is all absolutely fascinating. Caroline Wozniacki, as we come to you now, hasn't been into press quite yet. She's due in very shortly. I imagine when she does come in, she's going to have something to say about the fact that the lights weren't put on as she wanted them to be at 5pm. She was complaining that she couldn't see the ball properly. and look, It was bizarre to me because it was just completely daylight but her serve did kind of drop off a cliff and in they, that they did turn there. them on suddenly they turned them on but I guess not at the time she wanted them to no, but you're right she was all over the place suddenly mm. yeah does her comeback have legs I I think these what we've seen now is already evidence that she can play at this level whether it's something that can endure I mean the other thing is people haven't got much recent data on her because she's been out of the loop for so long and a lot of these players haven't felt her game properly before I, I kind of think this might be the peak of it I think she could have a good Australian Open because she's won it before but I think this is above what I would have expected what is it fourth round I think that's a really good result that might be the, the best it gets I do too and I, th- I think it's fantastic and I could see her doing other Grand Slam fourth rounds and similar kind of results at tour level but that explicitly is not what she's come back for so I wonder how long that will keep her juices flowing if she butts up against a ceiling I don't see her contending with Sabalenka's and Sviantek's Coco predicted that she'd be seeded at a slam soon even did she say at the Australian Open even which is pretty ambitious Um, I mean, I can see that, but yeah, I feel like the game has moved on, and, and that is uh, the, the, the takeaway. And I was comparing it. I, I have to admit, I haven't listened to uh, the, the Kleisters episode yet. I so feel very ashamed. There's about no need this. to confess that on air. Very ashamed. But the plain home. I mean, Kleisters came back and was, was right on top of it from from the first tournament, virtually. As I remember. Yeah, she was. And, and she speaks in that show that you've not listened to <laughs> about um, how she said to her trainer, I think I can win the US Open. This was after very narrowly losing out to Yelena Yankovic, who was then world number one in Cincinnati or Montreal. I can't remember which one. Um, but, you know, that I, I do sense that Wozniacki's coming back with a similar kind of sass and self-belief she really believes in herself she always yep. has and she thinks she's got the goods to challenge I, I, she doesn't have the firepower that Kleist has had no. and, and I just I, I, really do, I really do think that this is a, maybe about as good as it gets and the game has moved on because more players are using that combination of pace and spin whereas go back to her generation and you have the Sharapovas who hit with the laser Lansdorp method just over the net. That was the kind of dominant style, low, quick through the court, and that is changing. I mean, Peyton Stearns is a great example of that. That forehand is a is a Brady-like, different beast. isn't it? Yeah, it's totally Brady-like, mm. and uh, I, I hadn't seen much of her. But those, those players are, are, are everywhere. Mm. Goff's forehand is, is, is shonky at times, but it has that potential to do that as well and, and so it's a very different kind of player that Wozniacki is taking on and when she meets those players I don't see how she's going to get past them 
Now I'm going to be actively looking for opportunities to say the word shonky uh, for the <laughs> remainder of the podcast. Um, we don't know who Coco Goff will play yet in the quarterfinals because Igor Svantec and Elena Ostapenko haven't played yet. They will have played by the time you hear from us in just a few minutes' time on part two. The other quarterfinal from this top half of the draw has been set. That will be Karolina Mukova against Serana Kisteas. Kisteya getting the better of a, a quite shonky Belinda Benchich <laughs> today. I asked David for an assessment of this match and he said, Kisteya very good, Benchich very bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't understand really how she can be that bad when she's as talented as she is and and I, I look maybe she wasn't well or something like that I don't know I didn't go to a press conference but I, I brought it up in commentary with Coco Vandeweghe and she said yep yeah, sometimes she just throws in a terrible performance and because her whole thing is to stand in and take everything early she refuses to compromise and so you can sometimes just get an absolute shocker of a performance from her and, uh, and I mean Castella is playing well. She's, I think this is the best I've ever seen her play. Yeah, Contained agrees. tennis, not just hitting out, and well worth the win. I mean, she could have won even more straightforwardly. Yeah, she really should be on the intensity list, Serana Castella, I think, or certainly Serana Castella 2.0, but I'm going, to follow, I'm going to follow Matt's lead on lists and make it entirely subjective and down to me. And I just, Absolutely. I just... She said too much gross stuff on the internet for me to have her on any list of mine. Mine, but she's very intense and she's a good watch, and I do think she's yeah playing the best tennis of her life. Yes, fourteen years between her two Grand Slam wow. quarterfinals. Two thousand and nine was her first. Wow. Twenty twenty three, which is the second longest gap in in history after Lucic Baroni is it Thomas Johansson that she hired yeah. yes mm-hmm. uh, and well I mean people are going to be looking to work with him mm. what he's done with her he uh, worked it, with Borna Choric a while back he's worked with a lot of players and it didn't last very long but I remember actually seeing them on the practice court at Cincinnati at that time and I thought I can't remember the specifics. It was probably 2016, something like that. I can't remember what I saw, but I remember going away and thinking, wow, he's a really good coach. I can see him bringing the best out of Borna Church, and they split up soon afterwards. But yeah. it doesn't surprise me that he's he's a good coach. He was one of the ones that Caroline Wozniacki turned to for a very short spell as a kind of consultant coach before suddenly thinking, oh, no, 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 my dad's my coach. And, and and he had a number of coaching assignments like that that just didn't last that long. Mm. But whenever... I mean, I know him quite well from the ATP days. Lovely guy and really considered. Always thought he'd be a good coach. Is, is he one of the Swedes that you were threatening to text text last night, David? Matt was, Matt was working on a stat, but he had a query relating to... Joachim Nyström. Joachim Nyström. <laughs> and um, Dave, David, very enthusiastically and eagerly, at about two o'clock in the morning, said, do you want me to text a Swede? <laughs> <laughs> I do have a lot of Swedes in my phone book. They've gone from being the superpower of tennis playing to the superpower of tennis coaching, haven't they? Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the pipeline at the bottom of, of that process <laughs> has dried up. Their, their, their failure to replicate the success of yesteryear is... One of the things that really fascinates mm. me. Mm. 
Mukova next for Kisteya. Now, this is a weird one. She beat Wang Jinyu today, 6-3, 5-7, I watched quite a lot of this match, but pretty much none of the second set, which is the one that Mukova lost. So what I saw was Mukova being just excellent. I was so impressed with her today. She looked so athletic and calm and comfortable and shot selection looked all there. Just a dream to watch and just composed and not just fit but not even worrying about picking up an injury or any anxiety seemed to be gone and I wasn't worrying about her getting injured it's the first time I felt relaxed watching Carolina Mukova in so long but obviously something happened in the second set and I'm hoping Matt will be able to tell you what (laughs) yeah you did well to avoid the second set right it was not pretty (laughs) and it was really hot today I mean we should we should say that I think we're expecting a really hot spell now over the next few days I think conditions are going to be a factor in a lot of matches and today felt like a day where that was the case and Mukova was was not enjoying it in that second set uh, I, n- neither player was really the quality was was quite low in that second set Mukova's analysis afterwards is that she got into a hitting contest with Wong rather than using her slice and her variety in that second set she just sort of tried to out hit her and it didn't it didn't work and I always find Mukova so interesting because she's definitely well I don't want to speak out of turn but I don't think she would be on the intensity list and I almost feel like that can be a real strength of hers the way she's so calm and sort of level headed but it I can sometimes think that matches of hers just sort of drift a little bit and I think this was one of those and she had to take a you know she took a big break after the second set to change all her clothes and she came out much better in that third set and did suddenly look look comfortable again and yeah she's now completed her set of Grand Slam quarterfinals she's made made that round of all, all four slams which makes total sense like her game works on all surfaces if she's fit I think she probably is one of the best eight players in the world and yeah, interesting quarterfinal against Costello. They've mm. met three times already this year, and it's two-one head-to-head lead for Mukova, including mm. very recently in Montreal in straight sets. But yeah, I, I really think Costello is playing well this tournament. I think it's pretty pretty balanced that that quarterfinal. Those two matches were on Armstrong, as was Francis Tiafo getting the better of Vinky Hijikata, six-four, six-one, six-four a class apart Tiafo today incredibly professional real game face situation for him it's like second week of the slam that I told everyone I was going to win last year this is different now and I love to see him penis in a scribble locked in in the way that he is Um, there were absolutely crazy cues outside Armstrong to, to get into this in fact there were crazy cues for absolutely everything today. It's Labor Day weekend. They've had record crowds in this weekend. I think they've had record crowds in all week, and that's obviously fantastic. The fact that that appetite is there for this event is brilliant, but questions are being asked about whether they are over-filling this place. It feels it to me, and I know that's you know finding a negative in what's basically a positive situation, but David and I had to do a relay in a drinks queue yesterday and what was it, about half an hour to queue for a drink and then you get to the front and they tell you (laughs) you can only buy two per person it's a it's it's the land of freedom unless 
unless you're a woman or you're trying to buy more than two alcoholic drinks at a time. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to hear from our listeners who come to the US Open every year to get get their take on if it's got worse because it feels does feel a bit too busy here. I mean, I, I, I think of the French Open this year actually reducing the capacity. Uh, I think by 2,000 because they decided that it was too busy and the sort of fan experience for those who were there was was worse than it had been. So they made that decision. That's obviously maybe extreme. It's, it's a difficult balance to, you know, you want to get as many people in as, as you can, you would think. Um, I do think generally this week there's been an issue of Ash finishing so early with only two matches in the day session. That... That has quite often been done by 3.34. The day session on Ash have then got two or three hours before they're maybe even thinking about heading home. Where do 22,000, 24,000 people go if there's nothing to watch on Ash? They go and fill up the outside courts and the, and the bars and everything, of course. And that, I think, has led to some overcrowding mm. during the days as well. Uh, something, yeah, I'm sure they'll be looking at, but not wanting probably to yeah you know do too much about because yeah loads of people coming to tennis is is great there was a slightly weird phenomenon in the first week where every ticket was sold and yet the ash lower decks were quite empty weren't they and uh, i was talking to a tv executive who was saying that that is a real headache for them because it does somewhat kill the buzz I suppose some of those matches possibly killed the bars a little bit as well. It's because they're all stuck in a queue for a honey juice, Simon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's where they it's all are. It's actually where the, the enormous size of Ash, which is so much mm. larger than any other tennis stadium, uh, can work against it. It's the only stadium where you actually have a better view of Manhattan than you do of, <laughs> this is from the top deck, than you do of the tennis. Um, it's an astonishing turnaround, isn't it, from a pandemic that three years ago yeah. meant that the place was deserted. And here we are. And it genuine. I mean, I've been coming 20 years. It's the busiest it's felt to me. And on one level, that is reason to just really celebrate because it, the buzz is back and it's lovely to have that. But it does feel a bit much, really. And I think that there, there does need to be a sensible cutoff. You only want this many people coming if they're all leaving, having a positive experience, saying, I want to yeah. come back next year I think is is the point that lots of people are making Tiafo next will have to contend with Bugs Bunny Energy Francis Tiafo's words folks not mine although I will be using them extensively and he of course there is referring to good vibes Ben Shelton 64634664 for him over Tommy Paul totally outplayed his countrymen today he grew in the spotlight of an Arthur Ashe Stadium fourth round match and Tommy Paul shrunk in that space and I was really not expecting to say that today. David, you were you predicted this so I'll let you gloat and I'll hand it over to you because I did not see this coming. Listen, I I didn't expect it to happen like this. Uh, I thought a shock was possible because, you know, for a couple of sets he played him close in Australia but he looked very immature, Shelton, and Paul looked like the grown-up. But I have noticed that Paul doesn't look completely comfortable in the spotlight of his own country when he's supposed to deliver. And I understand that. I think he's quite shy, quite understated, and Shelton could not be more opposite. So one guy 
slightly shrunk as you say and the other one just this is what I'm all about and he came out and he he, he was three love down and there were points for four love for Tommy Paul but the moment that Shelton had his feet underneath him he just took it over and I mean look he's benefited from a year of some pretty unpleasant losses along the way which have all just been part of the learning curve of becoming a professional tennis player um, and they don't matter because they're all leading to this where he can be himself and, and he, he goes up two, two sets and then there was one game that I will never forget as long as I live and it was him coming out and hitting 140 miles an hour a 141 mile an hour serve of the first serve 149 mile an hour ace second serve which had Tommy Paul sarcastically clapping the crowd because they were going so wild for for this ace he didn't he clearly didn't like that um and then and then he hit a 130 mile an hour one at the body and then he hit another 149 mile an hour serve all in one game and and I've never seen anything like that it was showboat serving it was it was stuff that his dad would tell him not to do. Hit the marks. That's where you get a... He just couldn't help himself. And that was in the set that he lost. Yes, that's right, because he was, he was a break-up. He was 4-2 up. He should have been winning that. It was so exciting and, and exhilarating to watch him just put on a show. And, uh, and I loved every minute of it. This was another match. It's sort of a, 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 a twin set with the Coco Goff caroline Garcia match in another match where we got fantastic insight from the on-court microphones in the coaching boxes. Ben Shelton and his dad slash coach Brian were were having some tremendously illuminating exchanges. Tommy's pissed. Brad told him the wrong spots on serve was <laughs> a personal favourite. Revealed that his tactic was to go soft into the Tommy Paul forehand and make him generate the power on that shot and he was just openly reveling in the in how well that tactic was working it was, it was brilliant i thought so they're giving away their secrets for next time around well that tommy paul forehand is uh odd looking shot isn't it it's it sort of uh it doesn't have um great charisma that forehand <laughs> <laughs> whereas the rest of his game does yeah, yeah he, really, moves, he moves beautifully yeah it really does stand out I I am obsessed with the Ben Shelton service motion like I just think that's definitely got charisma yes like the way he just throws his whole body into it is kind of unique I think in terms of modern day players it, it, feels, it feels to me a bit like a bit of a throwback serve um, and yeah, he's got this extraordinary record this year of reaching the quarterfinals in Australia and then not winning back to back matches on the tour until this week, which, you know, is kind of crazy when you look at it, but actually when you think about it, it sort of makes a bit of sense. Like he, he made this splash and then, you know, he was literally away from home away from America for the first time in his life traveling the tour for the first time I, I imagine that as great it is all as it all is to him and as you know much as he enjoys being Ben Shelton that must have been a bit tricky to sort of navigate that for the first time and now he's back in America and he's loving it and he's getting these stages which he's just made for and it, it feels like there's so much more to come from him. Like, I still think 
you know, if, if, if Juan Carlos Ferreira thinks that Carlos Alcaraz in, in March of this year was, what, 60% of the way through, it feels like Ben Shelton might be about 60% himself. Like, there's so much more to come. I think he's still figuring out how to actually use his backhand. He, he, he sometimes just bunts it. He sometimes get, really hits through it. He, I don't think his dis- decision-making on the court is quite all there the yet. The return's improved, has it? really it? has, since Australia. The way he was able to get much more into Paul's service games today showed that. And, yeah, he's. I love the way he imposed himself today it was it was really fun to watch and then these are the results that we want uh, speaking of someone who likes to see tennis going gangbusters and <laughs> uh, this is the off day for Brits um, so in the media room you know me and my colleagues have been uh, taking these o- o- opposite days a little quiet but to see Coco and Shelton both coming through these are the kind of champions who will generate interest around the world and bring more American fans and bring more TV money I mean these are the guys no offence to Tommy Paul but they are potentially saviours for the sport in America where they as we know since Serena they haven't had too much to shout about Can we have a word for Eddie? Eddie learned a tough life lesson today didn't he? Yeah little Eddie who uh, has been in Tommy Paul's corner ever since he was two sets to love down uh, we told about you, told you about the other night, and said, "I'm going to be here all night for you, Tommy, if you win." And he was, and he came back the next day, and he came back today, and he was leading the chance today. He was the only person that believed at two sets. Yeah. I honestly, I'm not sure Tommy Paul would have won that third set without Eddie. Uh, yeah, I was Look. trying to get hashtag Eddie effect trending. <laughs> Eight years old, I think, back to front cap giving it the full come on Tommy yeah Eddie's a good vibe Tommy Paul was asked in press I think it was the last question in his press conference will Eddie be in Australia and and he chuckled and said maybe <laughs> so put a, put a pin in Eddie oh. go back to school Eddie just for a bit and hopefully see you in Australia uh, right then night session is just getting underway as we come to you Taylor Fritz is serving for the second set over Dominic Stricker has served for the second set over Dominic Stricker Joan Vat Djokovic is already in control against Borna Goyo Svantec and Sostopenko feels like the one in the night session tonight so we'll be back with part two to wrap all of that up but in the remainder of part one we want to talk about Simon Scoop which is the, the story that you published today Simon in the Telegraph that the ATP and WTA Tours are reportedly taking the first steps towards a potential merger. And I do say first steps tentatively. We know how difficult a landscape it is to do any form of collaboration in this sport or to instigate any kind of change. But that does seem to be the case. Executives and tournament representatives are set to attend a two-day summit in London at the end of this month. Um, This is prompted by fears of a live golf-style threat and the growing power of the PTPA, which you described, Simon, as having led to a febrile atmosphere (laughs) among tennis administrators. Uh, The tools have been contacted contacted for comment, but nothing yet. What a scoop. Well, it's uh, unusual that you could say that there's an exciting tennis politics story uh, that you get to write um, it's a bit of an oxymoron normally but this is quite exciting because we've been talking about potential collaboration between the two tours for so long and there hasn't been any real take up or buy in from the people running them 
Roger Federer tweeted about it in the pandemic year, of course, and was shouted down by Nick Kyrgios immediately. Um, but the the fact that they're meeting in London and they, they've got executives from both tours going along, it's a starting point that could, could turn into something really important and, and maybe take us out of this period of, of fragmentation. We still have a lot of moving parts in the game, but to have men and women um, on the same body eventually, um, it'd take years probably to get to that point, would still reduce a hell of a lot of uh, tension and, and inefficiency and duplication and just give them with such a, a greater opportunity to sell TV rights as a package. It, it seems like a, a win-win, doesn't it, for, for all of us? And the only people who I can imagine will be probably concerned about it are male players who make maybe 75% more money at the moment than their female equivalents and maybe worrying that if that was to be redistributed, they'll end up as net losers. They're the ones that might be wanting to put a foot in the door of the negotiations and say, hang on, we haven't been consulted about this. It's very important that women are always the net losers. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting It's interesting that this seems to be coming, Simon, from a feeling of real threat of a, a Saudi Arabian... Um, t- takeover bid or rival tour because I thought the, the noises we were hearing out of both tours this summer were sort of total acquiescence to the Saudis and an invitation to them to, to get involved in order to fend off that threat that was the move that was their way of saying don't worry we're not going to resist this we'll, we'll let you in there's, there's no need to launch an offensive so we've obviously got the next-gen ATP going to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, second city. So I was told at the start of the fortnight that um, the Saudis are very, very keen on a 10th Masters event, but there's very di- difficult oh, to work out where tennis, you would put it. you say. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> That's what the world needs. And, and that they really want it on Jan 1, which um, if... As in the, January the 1st. Yeah, if, if the ATP were going to go along with that, they'd basically be uh, taking a cannon and aiming it squarely at Tennis Australia, who have uh, staged the United Cup this year for the first time so um, there's a sense that everyone's a little bit um, squeezed because of all the different manoeuvrings that are going on but I suspect that actually maybe the bosses of the ATP and the WTA might be quite glad that they've got this bogeyman out there because without the bogeyman then nothing is likely to change. It's maybe that that they're using to motivate people to look at the bigger picture because, as we've just said, we've been talking about this... Well, Billy Jean King has been talking about it over 50 years. <laughs> so uh, maybe they might have been harnessing it and maybe even maybe even encouraging that, that feeling of, of impending crisis because that's what it takes to get something done. And what about the PTPA? Because we quite often joke about sort of how little we see of the PTPA this what was it how many years ago was it there was the famous photo shoot four years four years ago of them all on the court three I think it was pandemic they were wearing masks so yeah um big song and dance with lots of noises but they are you can very much rely on them now for a statement to come out about an episode three days late in a typeface font that you really have a, to squint to A feeble to statement three days after the fact in a in a bizarre form of graphic 
design like to me they don't feel like a big force but perhaps that's just the public face it sounds like what you're hearing is that behind the scenes they do have more force the fear among the tours would be that eventually the ptpa sign up enough players that they can go to the slams and say we're going to negotiate with you on pay deals and then you are taking the tours out of that loop and it's a massive blow to their prestige I think it's maybe somewhere away. The difficulty for the PTP, I have got some sympathy with them because when they try and say something about an event in tennis, they're faced with the same problem that the two tours face, which is that this is a zero-sum sport in which everything that I get is something that you're not getting. And so, and so representing the entire locker room is philosophically impossible uh, because... Uh, coming to a, 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 a university beneficial view on anything, just it's, it's, it's a real challenge. So the advantage of going back to the merger is that potentially if you do have these two tours coming together, it might not be a zero-sum game. You might actually grow the pie. You might actually have a, a product that is more appealing to sponsors, more appealing to broadcasters, um, and maybe even fans. Uh, and, and so you don't... Eventually, people will realise that just because you're doing better, it doesn't mean that I'm doing worse. Right, and and that feels like it will be the big message to get across to those 100%. male players who yeah. will, you 100%, know, yeah. yes, you may stop earning relatively more to the women, but you will earn more yourself overall because the the pie will be bigger and the product will be stronger. And if you look at the players on, on, on the player council at the moment, I think they're the kind of people who have open minds and who will probably understand that message. But they would definitely will have some, some raging emails in their inboxes. Mm. What's your, what, this is probably an impossible question, Simon, but do you have any feel for the likelihood of this actually happening? I don't think so, no. Um, but there is just that feeling of optimism that... Steve Simon and Andrea Gaudenzi have made a, a, a strong play. They've acted. Whether they get anywhere, I, 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 as you say, it's so hard to know. Does it feel like now or never? Well, I think that's kind of their, their argument. Mm. And maybe that, that's also why they're waving the many other stakeholders who might come into the game at their own constituencies and saying, you know, we need to get on with this. It's time. Mm. It's very interesting. Look, I think we're all in the right circumstances, in principle, hugely in favour of of a merger, aren't we? But well, I mean, it, just the thought of the administrative, yeah, and ideological battle that will be going on at those two days of meetings—it's just a the, headache in the, itself. The, what, the experience we have of travelling the circuit and seeing tennis tournaments and knowing that the sport is at its best when men and women are playing at the same time and joining forces at the events look at this place for goodness sake you know look at the crowds that are coming to watch coco golf and and both tours for good you know lean into that make the most of that celebrate that join together and just go and kill it in the market for goodness sake that's what the whole idea is that business-wise that makes sense to me and just bloody hell, what, a, what a revelation it is that tennis can be the one that actually does it don't squander your advantage the advantage that Billie Jean King and others won 
for this sport. Other sports are desperately trying to catch up with tennis and are catching up with tennis. And tennis is sat on its laurels for so long I mean I say that on my very daily life that my colleagues in other sports their, their, their stories are usually promoted on the sports page I have a higher chance of having mine promoted on the home page the general telegraph website because it's a sport that reaches across both genders absolutely so like you say it's the USP absolutely yeah here here we'll look we'll watch the situation very closely for more scoops do do follow Simon Briggs it could be a while. <laughs> hey, Simon, you started this tournament. You didn't think you were going to get anywhere, and now look at it. <laughs> you've got Jack Draper in the fourth round, and you've got a big scoop. It's going gangbusters. It's been a bit Brit-tastic, isn't it? Yeah. Week one has. Yeah. And all the win- and all the winners are like quite good, aren't they? For the second, I mentioned TFO as well. He's another like buzz, yeah, he, he was buzz factor, isn't he? Looming behind you for for <laughs> for quite a long time there when you were talking about. It. I didn't want to up you, interrupt you, but he was in a a big fluoro hoodie, just sort it's of it's turning every head because he's just. It's disappointing just that, a magnet, that he's he? not wearing the onesie from the Australian Open, isn't it? Is it a disappointment, Simon? I was going to do, a, I think I might have told you this before, I was going to do a first-person uh, photo shoot in one of those if he got to the quarterfinals. Please. <laughs> he's in the quarterfinals. No, no, when he was wearing it. Oh. Oh. What about this one? Can you do this one? I, I haven't actually really clocked what he's wearing, but it's not quite as dramatic, is it? It's... It's, it's something not as that dramatic. St- I, I want to see you in it. Still causes stir. <laughs> yeah, T- to be discussed, folks. I feel like that's a bombshell on which we can safely end part one. Um, Simon, thank you. Thank you very much. Fascinating stuff, as always. We'll be back with part two in just a few moments. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking, and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes, and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me. And Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Welcome back to part two where we're at Tennis Podcast Towers. It's five past midnight and we've entered a brave new world because the former world number one and defending champion Iga Sviantec is out at the hands of Yelena Ostapenko. And yes, I did say former because that defeat for Iga Sviantec means that Arena Sabalenka come 
a week Monday or come a week today will be the new world number one. Suddenly, everything has changed, David, all thanks to Yelena Ostapenko. And you saw it coming (laughs) because Catherine went for that in the newsletter predictions. And of course, that was always a possibility. She had a a healthy head-to-head, a 100% head-to-head against Iga Svantec. But those were not recent results. At the same time, we, we, we know just how explosive Yelena Ostapenko can be. There's no other player like her, even as hard as players like Arinda Sabalenka hit the ball. They don't hit it like that. It's more relentless with those sort of players, but not as explosive, not as sort of show-stopping as Ostapenko's ball strike is. It's audacious. It's, it's frankly ridiculous <laughs> what, she's, what she tries to do. And sometimes she pulls it off. And sometimes she pulls it off a lot. And tonight she pulled it off for two out of three sets, which is all she needed to do. We were talking about it at the start. You know, it, it, she, if she could make it chaotic, it, it could become her night. I still didn't see it coming, Catherine. Personally, I, I was shocked by what I saw. Yeah, look, I don't want to, <laughs> don't want to take too much credit. I picked it because picked it I thought it was a possibility. And there was a, I felt like the risk-reward... Uh, it's all ratio. about the risk reward. It's all about the risk reward ratio, and I liked the look of it um, because the head-to-head meant it was always a possibility. It didn't mean it was a likelihood. I mean, obviously, in hindsight, it maybe it was a likelihood, but no, I didn't. I didn't feel confident about that prediction at all, and yet it now feels patently clear that Igor Svantec has a Yelena Ostapenko mm. problem because as. Pam Shriver pointed out in the ESPN coverage before the match, it's not just Ostapenko, it is players like Ostapenko. And there aren't many like Ostapenko, as David was saying. She's she's pretty much one of a kind. But it is a style matchup that Iga Svantec does not like. Yeah, that's exactly it. I was not reading like an enormous amount into the head-to-head going into this match because of the fact that they were before Iga Svantec became world number one. But actually, when Pam Shriver said that in the build-up, I was like, oh gosh, yeah, that's that's so true. Because Ostapenko, the style of play, as David said, unique, but it's flat, big flat hits. And we've seen Elena Rybakina do that to Iga Svantec and win. We've seen Jessica Bagula do that a couple of times this year and win. And Ostapenko did it tonight. And of course... What that head-to-head did do is give Ostapenko immense belief. Like I think that was that was important as well. Like she, she she said before the match that she can take advantage of the fact that you know Shvantek's always out to be beaten because she's the world number one, and she said before that she has the tools, the game plan to beat her, and she brought all of that to bear. That belief, that game style that Igor Shvantek doesn't like. But having said that, I thought Iga Svantec played a great first set and was really dealing with that game mm. style pretty well. There was there was a lot of moments where Iga Svantec was getting behind the ball and timing it back and not framing it or shanking it and turning it back on Ostapenko, looking focused. I thought I thought she was brilliant in that first set, Iga and, Svantec. And also, I think, doing a good job of accepting that there were going to be moments periods where it was out of her control and not getting too stressed about that Mm -hmm. totally 
we didn't actually see the first two games of the second set because ESPN cut to a studio interview with Novak Djokovic. But Ostapenko held at the start of the second set. Svantec had 40-15 on serve and then lost serve from 40-15 up. And it does seem like from that moment on, that was a real turning point. It seemed like I think some of the stress came for Igor Svantec. And honestly, that was a really poor third set that she played. As, as good as Ostapenko was, it was over in 15 or 20 minutes. It was exactly what we said at the start of the year where's the where's the Igor Svantec resilience you know it we'd seen a lot of it in the past couple of months at the French Open you know in in the build-up to the US Open she played some big tight three set matches and yes this was three sets today but it really got away from her in a very alarming fashion and I don't think it was all Ostapenko in that third set it was great hitting but I thought Iga Svantec just let it run away from her. Yeah, I mean, a 6-1 six, six one, six one set against Iga Svantec. For someone like Ostapenko with... Look, she's always... She, she can break anyone's serve. But Svantec should have been doing a better job on the Ostapenko serve. There were a couple of service games from Ostapenko there that, that were over in, in sort of a minute-ish... Mm. That shouldn't really be happening. She did have a great night on serve. She had almost 10, I think, sort of midway through the third set, she was up to seven aces. I mean, that's that's great stuff. But even so, she didn't feel under any pressure on serve in that third set, Ostapenko. And, you know, that's that's alien to her. She's She's so... She's so used to losing serve that she doesn't think anything of it, does she? It sort of changes the dynamic of a match, really. You don't, you don't sort of fear for her when she loses serve because she just shrugs it off and goes, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, she shrugs everything off. And she didn't even celebrate that much. <laughs> her celebration was like, well, that's great, but sort of like, of course, I've beaten her every time we've played. Like, obviously, this was going to happen. And I just, oh, I, She's the I most, love that about she her. She is the most fun time in, in tennis. Or, or one of them. I mean, I, I think I judge the players I like to watch the most by how much I laugh during the match <laughs> at the absurdity of what they're doing. And that happens a lot when I watch Carlos Alcaraz. And it happens a lot when I watch Yelena Ostapenko. And with the added bonus of her facial expressions after... Winners, unforced errors, Hawkeye calls that she doesn't agree with. It's just always entertaining watching her. But it, but it, that's to sometimes overlook just what an incredible talent she is. How she can time the ball like like she does, hitting it as flat as she does, sometimes looking as though she's hitting it late, and then still managing to muscle it back uh, with just incredible timing. It's not muscle. It's not just brute for it she has the most extraordinary ball strike and it and the ball flies off and often hits the backstop after one bounce and and it's a joke what she's doing yeah I thought she was moving well tonight as well actually I mean I know it wasn't a match that was decide, decided by movement because it was just it was about ball striking but when required there were a couple of a few sort of hustly points in there from Ostapenko and I thought wow I'm 
not sort of used to seeing her in those situations. And I, I thought she she dealt with it quite well. I mean... There wasn't enough hustle from Schwiontek. No. Was there? That was a poor mental performance in the end. At the end. I mean, because in the because the first set she handled that mm. pace, something's gone wrong there. Like, she can do it. Like, yeah. she showed she can do it mm. in the first set. It's not like she just got totally blown off the court and just couldn't handle it. She was handling it, and then suddenly... She couldn't, and, and she couldn't get it back. And she lost her last five service games, Shviontek. I mean, she, I do think she's got to improve that serve. I mean, I know Ostapenko is pretty unique in the way that she can attack it. But then all year we've said the, that the way to get at Shviontek is to take advantage of that serve. And, you know, if you're the world number one, I mean, she's not anymore, but if you're the best player in the world, that's... That's what we've seen all the best players do over the years, constantly just get that little bit better. And it does seem like that's an area where Shviontek's maybe got some of the most, most room for improvement, I think, on serve. It's, the whole losing number one thing is almost too big to process right now, isn't it? It's just, it, it's, it's just been second nature, mm. Igor Shviontek being world number one. I know it's been sort of hovering on the horizon for a few weeks now, Sabalenka potentially taking it over. And yes, it's been there, but I don't know. I, I just wasn't prepared for right. this tonight yeah. at all. It, and yeah, I, 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 it, it's a lot to process. I think... I do think there's a world in which that really affects Shviontek, losing number one. I really think... I don't think she's a sort of... I don't think about the ranking person. I really think she's a... Yep, I'm number one. I'm the best player in the world person. I think that... I can't, as I say, haven't had time to process. I can't... Not doing a very good job of explaining it, but I can definitely see a world in which that rocks her on her heels and shakes shakes what can sometimes be a surprisingly fragile sense of self-belief in mm. in Iga Svantec. Well, we saw it tonight. She won the first set. You think you've got this and yet it all suddenly looked so frail. Mm. Um I I suppose yeah, as you said, so soon so hard to process. I suppose is there a chance it goes the other way? And, like, I don't think... Like, I think I completely agree. It's been important to her sense of self-belief and she's owned number one pretty well. And it's an extraordinary streak of 74, 75 weeks at number one. 75, yeah. Like, straight out the bat. Like, that's uh, that's amazing how how she made that number one her own at such an uncertain time with Ash Barty retiring. But I, I don't think it necessarily suits her sort of personality-wise. I think there have been times where she's felt the burden of number one as well, particularly at the but start of the year. don't you think she's sort of gone through that tunnel now and now she does see herself as very defined by Perhaps, being yeah. number one? Yeah, but I, as you said, she's she, she's been this number one and she's been so dominant... And she racks up scores like 6-love, six 6-1 six all the time. And yet you sometimes watch her and you think there's a, there's a fragility there mm. still. Yeah, it might, it, it might 
free her up a little bit to to, to be the underdog in her own mind mm. for a little while. Uh, it's it's impossible to so know really. We, we haven't seen this for it, a year it, and a half. This, yeah. this it really thing. could go to two yeah. opposite ends of the spectrum. You're right. It could could totally free her up and unburden her, or it could. You know, I, I we always talk about her being on the edge, don't we? I mm. I I worry. I've talked about feeling like the way that she makes it work at the top of the game feels unsustainable to me in the long term, and I I do wonder if this could provoke some sort of crisis. But or she could just you know carry on being extremely good at tennis, but number two in the world for a bit, rather than number one. But Who it, knows? It is it's, close it's, up there, isn't and, it? Yeah. And what about Sabalenka? Well, what's it, what's it going to mm. do for Sabalenka's sense of self and belief? Because she might turn into a new player. I think I think a lot of that might hinge on what actually happens for the rest of this tournament. You know, like if Sabalenka assumes the number one ranking, which she will, but does her does the thing of losing again in the semi-final. That's the thing. I'm sort of wondering whether now... Oh, for the this, rest of the tournament. Well, I, I, well and both. I mm. kind of wonder whether... I think she'll be ravenous to, to underline this mm. now. I mean, That's she's ravenous every match, isn't she? But you know what I mean? I think maybe she might walk even with a bit more swagger and self-belief. I'm world number one. I'm going to come out and get you all. Mm. Fascinating. I mean, it has been a it has been a theme of the year, hasn't it? Players getting a bit closer to Igor Swiatek, mm. like Sabalenka, Rabakina, Ostapenko, Ostapenko, Goff, um, Goff, yeah. Like it, it does feel like the gap has closed, but yeah, it is it is strange that Igor Swiatek is, isn't the world number one. We're so used to it, and I think even within this tournament. To me now, the tournament feels very different as well. Like I didn't, mm. I didn't think Igor Swiatek was like guaranteed to win this by any means. But just her not being in the draw feels like it opens up so many possibilities yeah. for kind of everyone that's left. Like I was looking at the players left left in that top half, and you you would perhaps slightly say Castea is slightly aside just because she's never been past the quarterfinals of a Slam, but. You know she is playing very well. You've got you've got Goff now. I think this improves Goff's chances oh, a lot. Yeah. I think it has to, considering the one seven head to head against Fiontek that she had. But you know also Mukova and mm. Ostapenko has has won a major before and and, and and beat Goff in a major this year. This Look, year, I think Goff's a better player now. But that that you know we've we've seen what Ostapenko does with. You know, good head to heads and belief mm. and and her game. It's it's really compelling. It's really, really compelling. First time US Open champion guaranteed in in the women's wow. draw now. Yeah, I mean Shvantec just just takes up so much space in in my thinking about the tournament, I suppose, just because of what she's done. Like and suddenly you remove her and it just feels like even more players have a chance in a way. If, if it, I don't know why, it just feels like the mix got bigger tonight. And and I think even players that aren't weren't due to face Fiontech next. Obviously, that's Coco Golf. I just think for everybody, mm. 
Shviontek would have been this looming exactly. feature somewhere in their consciousness. Exactly. Just a blight on it. And that's gone. Mm. Yeah, if, if you're starting to think of, oh, who might come out of of the bottom half? And you think, okay, they might get through that half, but Shviontek's probably going to mm. be there in the final. It's hard to see them actually winning. Mm. Now... Yeah, it feels it's all so changed. Honestly, it really does feel like a brave new world. Wow, I should have been, I should have been more prepared for this, but especially I, given your predictions. I yeah. know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm really not. I, it's a brave new world being second on the leaderboard. Don't think I've ever been there before, and it definitely won't last. But I will enjoy it for tonight. A um, couple of other things happened tonight. Novak Djokovic beat Borna Goyo. In straight sets, have we got anything to say about that? Pretty uneventful. No brave new world there. No, bra- no S- brave new world. Straightforward. Play very well. He will face Taylor Fritz in the quarterfinals, who beat Dominic Stricker in straight sets. Stricker did break the Taylor Fritz serve. No one else has done that yet this tournament. Fritz has done what we asked of him. He now needs to go out there and give Novak Djokovic a match. Yeah, he's he's done the bare minimum for for, for what his draw was. Had and and look, he's done it in straight sets efficiently. That's impressive, but he's absolutely done the bare minimum because if he had have not done this, I'd have been panning him. Now he needs to produce against Novak Djokovic, not win, because Djokovic is a better player than him. And if Djokovic plays to his best ability, he will win anyway. But Fritz has to play and play well. All I have to say left about that match is I'm fascinated to see when it will be scheduled. I don't think Djokovic has played day session yet. The other quarterfinal in that half is an All-American clash. It's Ben Shelton against Francis Tiafoe. Uh, But on Tuesday, it's scheduled to be 35 degrees here. Novak Djokovic will be... Pushing as hard as he'll be pushing as hard as a Yelena Ostapenko forehand <laughs> for that to be another night session match. And quite quite right too. Push for what you want. Doesn't mean they have to listen. I'm I'm fascinated about which way round they do that scheduling. Because I think it's pretty big for Novak Djokovic. Yeah. I'd still back him in a day session. But it is but a different proposition, isn't that it? That could he... be Novak Djokovic with a hat on, David. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and and you know he never wins with hats on, or not very often. He played <laughs> he played his second round in the day. Oh, but like it's going to be really hot yeah. over the next few days, and those are like, not conditions that Novak Djokovic no. wants and likes. So he has played once, okay. Uh, okay, I've, that yeah. So the other match is Tiafo Shelton. Mm. I think that should be the night match. I do too. And I think all other things being equal, I think ESPN will want that to be the I, I know it's Djokovic against an American, but Tiafoe's a bigger deal than that. And certainly Tiafoe against Ben Shelton. I think they want that in the night match. But Djokovic is the 20, 23 time Grand Slam champion. Yeah. And he'll be pushing hard. I'm, yeah. Watch this space tune in tomorrow we'll let you know what the schedule is for the next day this is the schedule for tomorrow at the u.s open 
Uh, what's the first match of the day on Ash, David? Uh, the app Jessica is loading. Pagula versus Madison Ooh. Keys. Yeah. I think Pagula's got that. Why are you volunteering predictions, Catherine? Mm-hmm. Uh, Keys against Pagula. Then it's Alcaraz against Arnaldi. Night session. The world... Hey, this has worked out actually kind of perfectly, hasn't it? Irina Sabalenka will play her first Arthur Ashe Stadium match this tournament, debuting as world number one. Yeah, I'm really pleased for her. Actually. Yeah, she'll face Daria Kasatkina. And then it's Zverev against Sinner, the last... Uh, match on Ash tomorrow. Peyton Stearns against Marketa von Drosheva first on Armstrong. Then it's Jack Draper taking on Andre Rublev. Ons Jabur against Zhongxin Wen is next. And then Daniel Medvedev against Alex Dermenor. Goff and Begula in doubles action tomorrow. Azarenka, Haddad, Meyer. Ben Shelton still in the mixed. It's all happening, folks. We, we've been talking all day, haven't we, about how perfectly set up week two feels. It just feels like one of those tournaments that's building. And not we, we were worried in the men's side, weren't we, that it would all feel like preamble to the final. Yeah. The final that we all wanted. And we all want to see Djokovic-Alcaraz. I think no one's going to say no to seeing that match, but it does not feel like preamble. It feels like we've got a great week ahead, yeah. all seven days of it. So stick with us, folks. Seven more daily tennis podcasts to come from the US Open, plus all the boco that we record after it for Friends of the Tennis Podcast. If you want to become a friend, the link to do that is in our show notes, as is the link to subscribe to the newsletter. Being a newsletter subscriber is how to gain access to that incredible competition that AO Travel are offering, incredible competition prize. So the details of how to enter that are in the newsletter tonight. We have our lovely mascot, Willow. We've got our mascot, Xenia. Hey, Xenia, we've had a good one. David's got Maisie, they've had a good one too. Come on, Maisie, you and me. Matt and Darwin also had... We we were fine. We got some points. Not as many, but we got some. Not many. I mean, points. Points are points. Points are points. Don't I know it? Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have executive producers. They are Jamie, Hannah, and Drew, and they are all top folks. And Matt, we have shout outs. We have Chris Wilkes in Tucson, Arizona. Like Chris Wilkinson. I was going to say, like Hannah Wilkes. <laughs> Very good does point. Does our Twitter. Yes. Um, Tucson, Arizona. I thought I had something to say. I don't. Bruce has a song called Tucson Train. Very good. Arizona, home of the Cardinals. Mm. Terrible NFL team at the moment. <laughs> Did we drive through Arizona? No. No. Chris, thanks a lot. One of the few states in America that Matt and I haven't driven through at this point. (laughs) We'll pop it on the list. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. We've got Catherine Kaiser in, get this, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, which is apparently seven minutes away from the Charleston Open. Uh, Church and Pew? 
Same church, same pew. Ugh. And Catherine says, I met David at the French Open just hey. outside Chatrier and practically knocked over two people to get to him. <laughs> he met my husband, David, and one of my daughters, Caroline, and he couldn't have been nicer. Oh, thanks, Catherine. We, we do have a disproportionate number of Catherines in the shout It is wild. <laughs> it, right? It is. Yeah. Okay, I'm not imagining it that. It is wild. And... Make no bones about it. I love it. Thank you to all the Catherines. Thank you in particular to this Catherine. And finally, we have Marion, who is in Mainz in Germany. Oh, like Marion Bartoli. Hey! Marion says, On the day of the Women's French Open final in 2022, you gave a lovely special shout-out from me to my wife Martina. Because we were getting married that day. I remember that. I'm happy to report that Martina said yes. We listened to the shout-out together a couple of days later, and it was a lovely surprise. Thank you. There is a rather unfortunate addendum to that note to say, also, Iga Svantec is our favourite player, (laughs) so it was perfect that she won the title. Which, had I planned the shout-out better, I might not have chosen that one for tonight. (laughs) I'm very sorry, Marion. (laughs) What the note to end on. (laughs) Marion, thank you and sorry. We'll be back tomorrow. (laughs) Good night. (laughs)